Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. The actor Jeff Conaway has died, best known for the role of Kanicki in Greece. On May 27, 2011, the world was saddened by the news that the actor Jeff Conaway had died. Cheer up. The hippie from Kanicki is like a hallmark car. Jeff had that it factor, coupled with a megawatt smile, and he just lit up the screen. In a career spanning five decades, he was rarely out of work. Jeffrey never surprised any of us with what he would accomplish, because when he wanted it, he got it. But there was trouble behind the megawatt smile. I hurt myself doing drugs that I knew I shouldn't do. When I worked with Jeff on Fit Club, he spoke about the sexual abuse he experienced. Jeff was a severe, severe opiate addict. Oh my God, I mean, he'll do anything just to get five minutes of relief, you know, and that was his downfall. I tried to wake him and I couldn't, but there were times where he was out and tough to wake. So I didn't, it didn't really strike me as unusual at all. Jeff Conaway had a much publicized battle with alcohol and drug addiction. And there was speculation in the press that he died of an overdose. However, looking through his extensive autopsy report, I can see this doesn't appear to be the case. In fact, there are a multitude of potential reasons for his untimely death. So what ultimately happened? World-renowned medical examiner and forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has performed around 5,000 autopsies, collaborating closely with law enforcement and other forensic specialists. His pivotal role in investigating suspicious cases has revealed the truth behind mysterious deaths for over 20 years. Jeff Conaway died at the relatively young age of 60. His autopsy report paints a complex picture of overlapping health issues. So using medical information and witness accounts, I'm going to piece together a picture of Jeff's life to uncover the reason for his premature death. April 29th, 2011, Anaheim, California, 28 days before his death. Jeff Conaway is at the Comic-Con convention to take part in a Grease sing-along and is being interviewed for the celebrity TV show What's Up Orange County. He's joined by his on-off girlfriend, Vicky Lizzie. This is Jeff Conaway. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing just great. The Lord Good. bless me so much. I can't, be, I can't be grateful enough. In the last few years, Jeff has been in poor health and offers of work have been scarce. But today he's able to share news of a new movie that he's due to start filming a few months from now, Orson's Last Dance. Carla Conaway Shreve, Jeff's sister. He was in great spirits. He was looking forward to working. You really look like an Academy Award winner. That's going to happen very soon. For a man of 60, Jeff is not looking in good shape, especially for someone about to take on the rigors of filming a movie. He is pale and appears to be slurring his words slightly. 
While this could be a sign that he's recently been drinking or taking drugs, it could also be a side effect of historic substance abuse, which can lead to damage in the brain, affecting speech, movement, and memory. Jeffrey Charles William Michael Conaway was born on October 5, 1950 in Manhattan and grew up in Queens with his two older sisters, Michelle and Carla. He was fun. He was a pain in the butt. He was all those wonderful things that a little brother will be. Their parents both worked in show business, and from an early age, Jeff was also keen to pursue a career in the spotlight. In 1960, at the age of 10, Jeff appeared in his first Broadway play, the Pulitzer Prize-winning All the Way Home. Andy Gallerani, Jeff's childhood friend. Even with his success, he was still and always was a kid from the neighborhood. Over the next few years, he worked regularly as an actor and model while learning his craft at drama school. But he studied and worked really hard, and, and he earned every bit of his success. In 1972, Jeff appeared in the original cast of the Broadway musical Grease, playing the lead role of Danny Zuko. That was a big break, no question about it. No one knew how, how hot Grease was going to become. Jeff's friend John Travolta played a minor role in the Broadway show. But by the time the movie was made in 1978, Travolta was a bigger star, and the lead role was given to him. Sure, it was hard on Jeff, but Jeff and Johnny had been friends forever. And he was excited for Johnny, and he was ecstatic that he got the part of Kanicki, because he that, that was a great part. That was a Jeff part. The movie was a phenomenon, and Jeff, in the role of Kanicki, found worldwide fame. A hickey from Kanicki is like a Hallmark card when you care enough to send the very best. But fame wasn't all he found. While filming the movie, Jeff fell in love with Olivia Newton-John's sister, Rona. They married in 1980. Success continued when Jeff went on to appear in Taxi as aspiring actor Bobby Wheeler, a role which earned him two Golden Globe nominations. Over the next four decades, Jeff went on to star in almost 100 movies and TV series. Mark Mason, friend. Jeff loved to work. Jeff lived to work. In the last few years of his life, Jeff often appeared to be in poor shape. Yet, according to his family and friends, health was something that was important to him. Jeff, actually, his whole life was actually pretty much of a health nut. Yoga, he took dance. He knew that part of his tool was his physicality, and he tried to take care of that. I can see in an interview in 1981, he told of having an x-ray, which revealed multiple white dots within his body. From reports, it appears Jeff's doctors explained that the white dots were the vitamins he swallowed down without chewing each morning. This can occur with medications and supplements that are radio-opaque. In other words, they block radiation rather than allow it to pass through them, causing the pills to show up on x-rays. But what really caught my eye here is that Jeff said he was taking 58 different vitamins every day. Excess vitamin consumption was a habit Jeff continued throughout his life. He'd have, oh my God, like a cabinet full of supplements, you know, vitamin C's, D's, B's, you know, all the vitamins. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, 
psychologist. I think this speaks very much to his overconcern, his hypersensitivity around health and illness, but also to perhaps an obsessive nature when it came to self-medicating. Taking larger than recommended doses of vitamins and supplements can result in hypervitaminosis, which occurs when abnormally high levels of vitamins are stored in the body. It can lead to toxic symptoms. Vitamin A and niacin have been linked to liver disease. I can see in Jeff's autopsy report that his liver was twice the healthy weight, but there is no information here to indicate either way whether his levels of any vitamins were too high. However, there are accounts of something else he used in excess that can also have a detrimental effect on the liver. And that's alcohol. Jeff began drinking in his teens. As a teenager, Jeffrey had the same kind of free spirit that I think he he exhibited for most of his life. Everybody was drinking. Everybody was experimenting. But over the years, Jeff's drinking started to become a problem. And he went through periods where he drank too much. And at times, it was out of control. On February 23, 1990, driving while intoxicated, Jeff knocked a cyclist off his bike. He was found to be almost twice over the state limit for alcohol. And it was the first of many alcohol-related arrests. Jeffrey's fight with with alcohol, he was always trying to overcome it. After the accident, Jeff started going to AA meetings. He would attend meeting after meeting after meeting, and he was really getting a handle on it up until the last seven or eight years of his life. Alcohol abuse can seriously damage the liver. But I can see in his accounts of his life that over the years Jeff had many long periods of abstinence. While alcohol may have been a contributory factor, it appears Jeff's and Laura's liver could be a result of congestion from stagnant blood flow backing up from his heart, which was also twice the size it should be. I need to investigate the possible reasons for this, as it would certainly have placed him at high risk of sudden cardiac death. But is this what killed him? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. You really deserve gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at just $22. For decades, women have had two options for coloring their hair, outdated at-home color or the time and expense of a traditional salon. And for me, I don't really do much hair dye for, for my own hair, but what I do love about Madison Reed is they make it super simple. So even if it's been a little while, you can go on their website and just go through all of their sort of um, selection process and make sure that you're finding the exact right shade for you. And many Madison Reed clients comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women really love the results. Gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is truly a game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon. What makes Madison Reed color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Autopsy listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code LASTHOURS. That's code LASTHOURS. On May 27th, 2011, The actor Jeff Conaway died after a long battle with drink and drug addiction. There was much speculation as to the cause, and now world-renowned medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter is investigating the case. Jeff was only 60 years old when he died. 
So far, I've discovered that throughout his life, he consumed excessive amounts of vitamins and alcohol, and that his liver was enlarged as a result of an enlarged heart. I can see one possible explanation for his heart condition in the medical examiner's records. Jeff has severe coronary artery disease caused by atherosclerosis. This is a disease which occurs when plaque builds up in the arteries. As a result, they harden and narrow, restricting blood flow and oxygen supply to the organs. When this happens, the heart has to pump harder and can become enlarged. There is a high risk of sudden cardiac death. One of the major risk factors for atherosclerosis is smoking, which increases the formation of plaque in the blood vessels. Jeff began smoking in his early teens and smoked daily, though not heavily, throughout his life. But I can see that tobacco wasn't the only thing Jeff smoked, which increased his risk of cardiac death. Jay Gigerman, friend. Occasionally, Jeff and I would smoke a little bit of pot in the evening before we went to bed. That would help us sleep. According to the review of his medical records, the urine sample taken at the hospital 17 days before he died showed a positive toxicology for cannabis. Jeff was first introduced to marijuana in his teens when he played in a band called The Three and a Half. The band released some records and supported bigger acts such as The Animals and Herman's Hermits and found themselves drawn to the 60s rock and roll lifestyle. Cannabis can act as a vasodilator, a substance that dilates the blood vessels, causing blood pressure to drop. This means the heart has to work overtime, which in turn increases the heart rate. The medical examiner's report states that as a result of Jeff's atherosclerosis, his arteries were narrowed up to 90%, placing him at very high risk of sudden cardiac death. This, in conjunction with increased heart rate and blood pressure, made his smoking marijuana at bedtime risky. Looking through accounts of Jeff's life, I can see evidence of yet another substance that can also lead to atherosclerosis and an enlarged heart, cocaine. It was snowing in Hollywood with cocaine and things like that. And to tell you the truth, I got an addictive personality. Cocaine is a powerful highly addictive stimulant. There are accounts that for periods of his life, Jeff was a heavy user. In 1978, Jeff began work on his next big role, starring as Bobby Wheeler in Taxi, one of the most popular sitcoms in TV history. Maybe one day, I might be able to come back here in this garage and stuff every laugh you've ever had at my expense right down your throat. <laughs> But before long, rumors began to circulate that Jeff's cocaine habit was affecting his work on the show. That led to tensions on the set with the writers and the producers. Regular cocaine use produces a unique series of events in the body that leads to heart enlargement. When it enters the bloodstream, it increases heart rate and blood pressures, forcing the heart to work harder. It also activates a protein, triggering an unnatural buildup of calcium in the heart tissue. The chain reaction that follows increases the size of individual cells within the muscle tissue of the heart. This offers another possible explanation for Jeff's enlarged heart. But what it doesn't explain is Jeff's reason for taking so much cocaine alongside his use of marijuana and alcohol. 
you know, I had this great house on top of a hill and great car. And my, I mean, I should have been really ecstatic and happy and making everything work for me. But instead, I was making everything not work for me. Despite Taxi's success, Jeff left the series after just three seasons. When the fame and the fortune all came, it didn't fill the hole in my soul. He soon found other work, but suffered some high-profile disappointments. His much-hyped series Wizards and Warriors was canceled after one season in 1983, and he struggled to find another hit role. One of the things I remember him mentioning was this idea of, you know, wanting to be taken seriously. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos worked with Jeff on Celebrity Fit Club in 2006. He was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, even though he was very handsome and very talented, it kind of felt that he never found his thing, the place where he belonged. And in 1985, he suffered a further blow when his marriage to Rona Newton-John broke down, leaving him at rock bottom. Looking at Jeff's use of vitamins, alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, and cocaine, a picture is emerging of his addictive personality. The accounts of his personal and professional disappointments may explain in part his use of these substances, but they're not the whole picture. I need to look deeper into his past to get to the core of this self-destructive behavior. In 2008, Jeff appeared in the Celebrity Rehab series. He talked openly about abuse he had suffered as a child at the hands of older kids. When I was a little kid, three, four, they would uh, take me and beat me up and stick me in bags and lock me in trunks. It was pretty horrendous. There were some really jerky guys on the block, but at the time, we weren't told about it. And there was something even more disturbing that Jeff's family also didn't know about that happened when he was around seven years old, which he described while in celebrity rehab. You know, the guy, he brought me into the studio, and there were these um, women there, and um, they played with me and would have me play with them. You know, and, and, and I didn't remember this for years and years, only to a couple of years ago. My God, there was a camera there. It was, I was child pornography. I've heard about the sexual abuse later again in life. Did not know anything about it at the time. You know, now everybody tells everybody about everything. But, you know, in those days, you didn't talk about stuff. When I worked with Jeff on Fit Club, he spoke about the sexual abuse he experienced. This wasn't a family member. Jeff had a great relationship with his family. It was women and it was pornography. Early childhood trauma increases your chances significantly of mental health issues, of substance abuse, of dysfunctional relationships. They feel they're somehow less than, they're somehow less deserving, less good. They spend a lot of time in their adult lives, in some cases, trying to, to, to escape this. And we all know that the easiest ways to escape are not always the most functional. You know, they have to do with self-medicating. Jeff's childhood experiences in their own right and the side effects of his self-medicating with drugs and alcohol left him vulnerable to depression. And I noticed in the review of the medical examiner's records that at the end of his life, Jeff was taking Zoloft, an antidepressant medication. May 4th, 2011, Encino, California. 
three weeks before his death. For the past few months, Jeff has been living at his friend Jay Gagerman's home. Jeff and I had known each other for a few years. Jeff ended up living with me when his ex-girlfriend threw him out. You know, and here he was in this very vulnerable position. The two men have something in common. We were both fighting depression, and that was something that we spent a lot of time talking about. The antidepressant medication Jeff was taking at the end of his life is known as a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It works by increasing the amount of serotonin in the brain. This is the neurotransmitter that helps regulate mood. Jeff had mentioned uh, thoughts of suicide. These medications are generally safe and effective. However, in some cases, they may increase the thought of suicide. In a 2008 interview with Howard Stern, Jeff said that he'd attempted suicide 21 times. According to his autopsy report, there were a number of unexplained, well-healed scars on Jeff's body, including three across his right wrist and five across his left. So, in the weeks leading up to his death, had his depression become so bad that he was suicidal? His personality, you know, it definitely changed. He didn't have the, um, you know, that glow, that light inside of him. May 6th. 2011, Encino, California, three weeks before his death. Jeff calls his old friend, Mark Mason. Jeff and I would talk a lot on the phone. In the past, when Jeff has been feeling low, spending time at Mark's ranch has helped improve his mood. Hey, dude, you seem to do my first real job my whole entire life. So they've made plans once again. He was going to come and move in to a ranch for at least a few months to get him out of L.A. and just kind of work on some things that would get his head straight a little bit. As there were no fresh wounds to his body and no signs of a deliberate drug overdose, I am ruling out suicide attempt as playing any part in his death. But actually, there's something else in Jeff's records that could not only lead to depression and suicidality, but also expose him to other life-threatening risks. I'm in pain every friggin' day. Hey, it's Dr. Michael Hunter. Did you know you can stream the Autopsy television series on Roku and Fire TV? Well, you can just download the Reels app and subscribe to see the TV show behind this podcast. And if you've got Prime, it's on Amazon channels too. You could even find episodes like Gary Shandling, Tom Petty, and Batman's Adam West before they're released here. Autopsy comes from the real-life mystery fans at Reels channel. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. The actor Jeff Conaway has died. On May 27, 2011, Grease star Jeff Conaway died at the age of 60. Expert forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is investigating the case. So far, I've discovered that Jeff had a history of depression and episodes of suicidality. But I can see in his records another factor that could significantly contribute to this. Back pain. I'm in pain every friggin' day. Back pain can be incredibly debilitating. I need to not only look at what caused it, but also how that pain manifested itself and crucially, how Jeff managed it. All of this could give me vital clues to the ultimate reason for his death. In 1972, Jeff was starring in the Broadway production of Grease. He was fantastic. It was a great show. But the physical demands of the show were to have life-changing consequences. 
Jeff got injured during Greece, where he would run and jump and drop down to his knees and slide across the floor on his knees. Once you have a back injury, you've got a back injury for life. And then Jeffrey was always moving and doing things. He was jumping up on the car, he was doing splits, so always re-injuring his back. Following Greece, Jeff suffered with back pain throughout his life. If you've ever thrown your back out seriously, it's unbelievable. He just lived in chronic pain. He was prescribed painkillers for his back, and um, I know that he took them on a regular basis. The urine test on admission to the hospital indicated Jeff likely had opioids, barbiturates, and benzodiazepines in his system. These are all psychoactive drugs which alter brain functions and are often prescribed to manage pain. These drugs contain chemicals that bond with opioid receptors in the brain, blocking pain, slowing breathing, and creating a sense of well-being. However, when they are taken at higher doses than prescribed, a different kind of feeling is achieved, one that is euphoric. The brain is flooded with neurochemicals like dopamine and serotonin, which trigger a response from the pleasure and reward pathway of the brain. These feelings are so intense that they begin to train the brain to prefer these effects to anything else. And because of this, they are incredibly addictive. It wasn't as though he was getting high for the sake of getting high. Jeff was using medication for what it's supposed to be used for. It just became an ongoing thing that ultimately got out of hand. There was a couple times when Jeff um, did too much of the pain pills. Um, and it wasn't on purpose. Sometimes you just forget how many you took. Did I take one? I don't remember. And you take another one. Heavy users of opioids run a high risk of overdose. And due to their effects on the part of the brain which regulates breathing, opioids in high doses can cause respiratory depression and death. I can see that from the mid-1970s onward, this became a long-term issue for Jeff. And I can't rule it out as a possible factor in his death. Despite the fact that Jeff's use of opioids, as well as cocaine and alcohol, periodically was out of control, he found love and happiness with photographer Carrie Young. They married in 1990. Carrie and Jeff were a loving couple. They were awesome. And he continued to work regularly. Jeff had a capacity to work through all of that stuff. And his pain management was long-term. He made many movies, TV shows such as Babylon 5, and guest shots on shows including Murder, She Wrote, and Matlock. He was a working drug addict, if you want to say that. And I hate that word, because uh, it, it, it implies some kind of moral failing. And his addiction was not a failure of character. There are accounts of a further injury around the late 1990s that appears to have significantly escalated Jeff's back pain. While hanging a heavy mirror in a new apartment, Jeff injured his back again. Jeff said in a newspaper interview that the accident shattered his fifth vertebra. This type of injury can be caused by a simple sneeze, which puts pressure on an already weakened vertebra. By the early 90s, Jeff had a considerable history of alcohol and drug abuse. And these substances may interfere with the way the body absorbs calcium. This in turn weakens the bones, resulting in a condition known as drug-induced osteoporosis. Subsequent injuries are very painful and slow to heal, especially if the drug and alcohol use continues. In the early 2000s, 
Jeff's marriage to Kerry broke down. It got a little rough. He's not the easiest person to live with when he's in that much pain. So it makes it hard on the relationship. I can see in the autopsy report that Jeff had a 24-inch scar down his spine and two metal rods which had been surgically inserted to support it. Jeff hoped that he would be able to kick the pain relief medication if he got rid of the back pain. Spinal surgery is a serious undertaking that is only recommended if non-invasive remedies have not been successful. His doctors used metal screws in an attempt to fuse his vertebrae together so there was no movement between them. But the surgeries were not successful. I saw him afterwards and it was unbelievable. He was hunched over with a walker, looked like it aged him 20 years. He was in agonizing pain. It was horrifying. In 2008, Jeff was reported to have had five surgeries on his back. Unable to work, he began to claim benefits for disability and his use of opioids escalated even further. Doctors prescribed harder and harder stuff and towards the last couple, two, three years is when it got really bad. I mean, I think they were just giving him basically anything to shut him up. Jeff's disability also created other medical complications which in turn required further medications. In total, Jeff was taking at least 12 different medications on his admission to the hospital. This concurrent use of multiple medications is known as polypharmacy. Although it can be necessary, there are sometimes negative and even deadly interactions between the drugs. When this occurs, it is often confused with straightforward drug overdose. But it's actually a different phenomenon that relates to the chemical interactions between combinations of drugs. I can't rule this out as a possible factor in Jeff's death. He was not someone who was happy with his condition. He didn't want to be addicted to pain pills. Uh, he didn't want any of this. The changes the drugs make to the neural pathways in the brain make addiction to opioid pain relief medications one of the hardest to kick. But I can see that over the last two decades of his life, Jeff went into rehab on several occasions in an attempt to do so. Jeff agreed to take part in the 2008 series Celebrity Rehab, a reality TV show where famous people were to be treated for alcohol and drug addiction. For the last seven years of his life, Jeff was in an on-off relationship with Victoria Spinoza, known as Vicky Lizzie. She's a beautiful, loving, wonderful, giving, caring, kind, funny, talented. But not everyone thought it was a healthy relationship. His girlfriend Vicky, at the end, was a mixed bag of help to him. The night before he went into the Pasadena Recovery Center to start the program, Jeff had one final blowout with Vicky and their friends. <laughs> At one point, Vicky was filmed holding a rolled $20 bill to his nose to help him snort cocaine. You know, he loved her, he hated her, and he was, had become dependent on her. He knew that, that they were in a kind of a codependent relationship. That's the thing about a codependent relationship. You don't stay in it because it's good for you. You, you stay in it because you're getting something out of it that, while not good, helps you in some way. When Jeff arrived to start the rehab program the following morning, he was still high. Detoxifying from drugs and alcohol is unpleasant and can be dangerous because of the way the nervous system adapts to certain high-dependency substances. Abrupt withdrawal can cause a variety of serious and potentially life-threatening medical conditions, including seizures and heart problems. 
However, the urine test on his admission to the hospital revealed benzodiazepines and barbiturates were likely in his system, as these were not in the prescribed medications listed in the medical examiner's notes. I can safely conclude that Jeff had not been successful in kicking his addictions. May 9th, 2011, Encino, California, 18 days before his death. Jeff and his friend Jay Gagerman are spending the evening talking. I remember that it wasn't that unusual. You know, we spent the night in my room philosophizing. We watched TV, we talked, we tell stories. It seemed like a night like no other. Specifically, I remember him being in good spirits. You know, his head seemed to be in a good place. Yet in less than 12 hours, Jeff Conaway will be in a fatal coma. On May 27, 2011, Grease star Jeff Conaway died. The actor had a well-documented history of drug and alcohol addiction, which left him exposed to many health risks. World-renowned medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter is investigating to uncover the ultimate cause of death. So far, I've discovered that Jeff had a long history of chronic addiction to prescription medications as a result of long-term back pain. He had made many attempts over the years to give them up. In the weeks before he died, his friends and family claimed they noted nothing out of the ordinary. It appears he was functioning as he usually did. May 10th, 2011, Encino, California, 17 days before his death. Jay Gagerman receives an early morning call from Jeff's on-off girlfriend, Vicki Lizzie. She called me to ask me to get him up and ready as she was coming to pick him up to take him for rehabilitation for his back. Jay goes to wake Jeff and remind him of his appointment. While Jeff has been staying with Jay, he's been sleeping on the couch. I, I tried to wake Jeff. He was lying down on my couch and he was covered by my sleeping bag. I couldn't get him up. This was not an unusual occurrence. There were times where he was out and tough to wake, so it didn't really strike me as unusual at all. It really didn't. Jay decides to let Jeff sleep a while longer. I went back into my room, messed around on the computer, watched, looked at the news or whatever. And Vicky showed up a short time after. As soon as she walked in, she said that she knew something was wrong and we should call 911. Jeff's not asleep. He's unconscious. Jeff's history of addiction and his polypharmacy place him at high risk of falling unconscious. Over many years, his body built up a high tolerance to opioid medications, which left him to increase his intake. This high consumption of dangerous medications meant he was playing a daily game of Russian roulette. I can see that the paramedics noted fluid at his mouth likely indicating that he may have vomited while unconscious. Vomiting is one of the ways the body protects itself against the overdose of toxins, but this natural urge works independently of the ability to stay conscious, which can lead to choking or inhaling vomit. Both of these have serious and potentially life-threatening consequences, including starving the brain of oxygen. The brain needs a continuous supply of oxygen to survive. If it is interrupted, the functioning of the brain is disturbed immediately. And within minutes, irreversible damage occurs. This is known as anoxic brain injury. Jeff is rushed to the Encino Hospital Medical Center. I can see that in the emergency room, the medical team administered naloxone hydrochloride, or Narcan, a medication designed to rapidly reverse an opioid overdose. It's given routinely when a patient has a history of opioid abuse and an overdose is suspected. They also injected Jeff with Zopinex to 
open the passages in his lungs, making breathing easier. The medical team runs tests on Jeff to assess the situation. He remains unresponsive, and a decision is made to put him into an induced coma. The doctors told me that they induced the coma so, you know, that, that his body could heal. I mean, it all looked good to me. May 12, 2011, Encino Hospital Medical Center, 15 days before his death. Jeff's medical team perform a bronchoscopy. This is a procedure that sends a camera right into the lungs to collect samples. The finding was that Jeff was in respiratory failure with the additional complication of suspected aspiration pneumonia. This is the type of lung infection that occurs when a large amount of material from the stomach or mouth enters the lungs, introducing bacteria. This may have occurred as a result of him inhaling vomit while unconscious. The brain injury and pneumonia meant Jeff's prognosis was poor. And there was something else. Jeff was in septic shock, a life-threatening condition that happens when blood pressures drop to a dangerously low level during an infection. It reduces the amount of blood and oxygen that reaches the body's organs, stopping them from functioning normally. More than 50% of cases of septic shock result in death. We didn't know at the time what had happened. When Jeff had been in the hospital for a few days, his sisters received a call from the office of his old friend John Travolta, who had been contacted by Vicki Lizzie. My sister called and she told me that Johnny's office had called her to tell her how sorry they were to hear Jeffrey was in the hospital. And that was the first we heard about it. Jeff's sisters Carla and Michelle head to the hospital, where they are joined by family and friends, including ex-wife Rona Newton-John and estranged wife Carrie Young. Initially, they feel optimistic. It was amazing how good he looked. His face was full. He really looked great. This is a clue that perhaps the drugs treating Jeff's pneumonia were working. He likely had better blood flow as a result, which would improve the appearance of his skin. Plus, he was likely getting 100% oxygen compared to the 21% we all get from breathing naturally, further helping his overall condition. I held his hand, we talked. I mean, I talked. <laughs> it felt like he was definitely there. We never stopped talking to him. We never stopped singing songs that we always sang when we were kids. And despite his serious condition, Jeff appeared to be improving. The doctor said, he's doing great, he's healing up good. At some point, we'll take him out of the coma and, and you know, and see where it's all at. And that was, I guess, right before everything changed. Despite some signs of improvement, Jeff subsequently developed adult respiratory distress syndrome, a serious complication of both pneumonia and septic shock. This is a condition where the lungs can't provide the body's organs with enough oxygen. It occurs when the lungs become severely inflamed due to an infection or injury. The inflammation causes fluid from nearby blood vessels to leak into the tiny air sacs in the lungs, making breathing increasingly difficult. Pneumonia, septic shock, and adult respiratory distress syndrome is a deadly combination. May 25th, 2011. Jeff's doctor has some news. He said, and right now, these are his numbers, and they're okay. He said, but if the number goes this way, then it's not good. He said, then it's over. Jeff's doctors were referring to his heart rate and blood pressure. 
A good reading indicates that the body is continuing to fight back. One of the symptoms of septic shock is dangerously low blood pressure. If the numbers drop, it can lead to organ failure and death. And the next day, the numbers changed. And the doctors came in, and then they told us he wasn't coming back, that the numbers had all gone downhill. It was time to make the decision. We all were with him, and we were singing our songs, and we were all sitting together. We said our goodbyes, and we need to let him go. At 10.30 a.m. on May 27, 2011, Jeff Conaway dies with family at his bedside. I was pretty shocked because I was just down there, and Jeff looked great. So all of a sudden, now we're going to pull the plug, now he's dead? Shock doesn't even cover it, you know? Shock doesn't even cover it. I remember getting the phone call and just feeling my stomach drop because I think, you know, we all want to think that, you know, this one thing that we said or did, you know, would have made a difference. You know, it's surreal. Expect them to walk in the door at any minute, but you know it's not going to happen. So, you know, I don't know how how to really focalize that. When Jeff Conaway was admitted to the hospital 17 days before he died, his prognosis was not good. The emergency room doctor was very clear that uh, she didn't believe that there was a chance of recovery. There were many potential causes of Jeff's death, but having reviewed all of the evidence, I'm now able to reveal what really killed him. On May 27, 2011, 17 days after being admitted to the hospital, Jeff Conaway died. World-renowned medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter has been investigating the case and can now reveal the cause of death. My investigation into Jeff Conaway's death has centered around the myriad of overlapping health problems that resulted from his long-term battle with addictions to prescription medication, cocaine, and alcohol. When Jeff was admitted to the hospital 17 days before he died, he was unconscious. The autopsy reveals that he was taking 12 prescribed medications at the time and unknown quantities of others. This left him at high risk of falling unconscious as a result of either accidental overdose or polypharmacy. And it was the moment he fell unconscious that started the chain of events which led to his demise. There are four causes of death listed on Jeff's death certificate. The first of these is encephalopathy, which essentially means brain disease, damage, or malfunction. The doctor said that he had brain damage. The combination of unconsciousness and aspiration of vomit led to the anoxic brain injury, which was worsened by complications that occurred in the hospital. Another contributory cause of death resulting from his falling unconscious was aspiration pneumonia, which led to adult respiratory distress syndrome. Both of these weakened his immune system, leaving him compromised in the face of other infections. But I've discovered that while in the hospital, Jeff was dealt another devastating blow. For the duration of his hospitalization, he required intensive care which involved medicines and fluids entering his body via intravascular catheters. Even in a semi-sterile environment, it's common for bacteria to enter the body in this way. I can see from his records this likely was the case, 
leading to an infection called aortic valve endocarditis, which is listed as another cause of death on the death certificate. Jeff's heart disease put him at higher risk for this rare and potentially fatal infection of the inner lining of the heart. It most commonly is caused by bacteria entering the blood, traveling to the heart, and attaching itself to damaged tissues. These bacterial vegetations broke away and traveled around his body. These are called septic emboli, and they migrated to the brain and kidneys, slowing the blood supply to these organs, resulting in tissue death or necrosis. This was very rare, and as his organs began to fail, his blood pressures dropped. And this was the situation Jeff's sister faced when she had to make the decision to withdraw life support. But there was something else in the medical examiner's notes that caught my eye. During Jeff's hospitalization, he was diagnosed with a condition called leukopenia. And this is a decrease in the number of white blood cells that play an important part in helping the immune system fight off infections and diseases. Leukopenia would have significantly reduced Jeff's capacity to fight the pneumonia, sepsis, and other infections. Therefore, this was a critical factor in his death. The report states that Jeff's leukopenia resulted from myelodysplastic syndrome, a type of rare blood disorder, which can develop into an aggressive form of leukemia. Myelodysplasia is usually spontaneous, so would likely not have been the result of Jeff's lifestyle. Jeff's family was not aware that this condition had been previously identified. It is possible, therefore, that this had been recorded in error. Perhaps his notes said to rule out myelodysplasia, and this was missed as the information was transferred between Jeff's hospital notes to the coroner's office. But if the diagnosis is correct, Jeff was suffering from a serious and terminal illness that, in its own right, would have left him dead within a number of years. Jeff Conaway's story is a tragic one. A talented and much-loved man whose early life traumas set him on a path of addiction. Then the injuries to his back not only denied him the work that he loved, but drove him to become addicted to the pain relief medication he was using to treat it. His unconsciousness and aspiration resulting from the toxic effects of these drugs led to a complicated cascade of events ending with his death, which was likely inevitable from the time of his admission to the hospital 17 days earlier. Being a kid from the neighborhood, my relationship with Jeff never changed. He was never a movie star to me. He was always Conaway. Jeff was one of those people that would always be there for you. He was always up, always happy, I and mean, he lived to act. He lived to create. It's sad that he was cut short so, so young. He became what he wanted to become. He was great at what he did. He accomplished and, and became a major star. Uh, unfortunately, the end was not that good. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. 